Solitude, uncertainty, the unpredictable storms, both physical and metaphorical. We all experience these things at some point during our lives. But what about throwing yourself into this situation in pursuit of a goal, with an unbelief in luck and only yourself to rely on? How long can you keep moving forward? And what happens when you're offered help, you're offered assistance by someone you have no idea if you can trust or not? Sometimes in these positions, our goals feel like we're sailing all the way across the world. With music from Cody Crabb, writing by Nicole Mello, I'm Hayden Lee. This is Travel Stories Podcast. Just before today's show, I'd like to thank all of you for your messages about last week's show with Nate Buchanan. Nate and his wife, Kara, have just passed 30,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel, Kara and Nate. And to celebrate, they're giving away free lounge access for a year and free early access to Nate's travel hacking course. Mentioned in last week's episode, that's the one where I really, really wanted it. So to find out how you can get your chance to win these things, I know I'm going to be entering. The links are in the show notes. On to today. Our guest today is Tanya Abbey. In the late 80s, Tanya completed a solo circumnavigation of the entire world, setting off when she was just 18 years old, making her the first American woman and the youngest person at the time to sail around the world. She recounted a story in the 1989 book Maiden Voyage, and we're delighted to have her on the show today. Tanya, how you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing real well. Man, I love your accent so much already. I'm t- I, tell, I can tell I'm going to really, really enjoy this. The, it's a New York accent, right? I'm not wrong there. Well, right? you know what? It depends what I'm saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, I just said, how you doing? That's my New York accent. And now I'm normal again. But, um, oh, man, it's, it's one of my favorite accents. I used to go back and watch uh, like old interviews of Cindy Lauper just to be like, yes, that accent. That is so cool. <laughs> I think that there was once in the New York Times this test that... um. You answered questions and based on vernacular and how you pronounce things, it told you where you came from. And I'm actually quite, I'm definitely from New Jersey, according to them. Oh, no way. No way. And I am from New Jersey, so it's <laughs> correct. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to take that test and see where it thinks I'm from because it's a, yeah, a little weird, a little weird. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, where about, are you in New York at the moment? I am not. I am in Vermont. I live in Vermont. Ah, nice, nice. Okay. And how long have you lived there? See, that's the other thing. You can call me from anywhere in the world. And you actually have no idea where you're calling. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this just before the uh, just before the interview, how with modern technology, one of the pros of it, uh, you can connect with someone halfway across the world. And one of the cons of it is that you can connect with someone halfway across the world. <laughs> but then the other thing is, is I could actually be up the block from you and you wouldn't have known. That's right. It's really a strange thing. I think it's overall a, a net positive, I'd imagine. You know, having all these different cultural differences kind of being in front of everyone, I think it's probably a, a net positive. Maybe. I don't, time will tell. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it all implodes in on mm-hmm. itself. <laughs> now, you've traveled. I'm telling you like you don't know this, but you've traveled over 27,000 miles. Or you did travel literally around the world. 27,000 miles, right? And yeah, a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, for me, a couple of years ago. And for me, distances are, are kind of, I hear, you know, this is 10,000 miles. I know that the proclaimers, that they would go a maximum of a thousand miles, you know. I know that much about distances. But to put it in context, for people that are the same as me, and distances just sound like a big number, that is the from the easternmost point of the US to the westernmost point 10 times over. That's That's relatively insane. <laughs> it's also literally around the world. Well, yeah, that's an easy way of putting it. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a that's a pretty easy way of putting it. Yeah, that's I don't I don't mean to state the obvious, but that's a long way. <laughs> that's like the longest way you can go without doing it again. <laughs> you know, mile by mile, mile by mile. Nice. I've seen a picture of you with your dad, and I'm assuming it's your brother. It's when you were younger. It's on a on a boat when you were younger. Do you know the one I mean? Okay, you know what? I am never going to let my sister hear you said that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, this I know is... exactly which picture you're talking about. And yes, unfortunately for her, I guess, it's my sister, Nina. <laughs> okay, we must... The, 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 well, this interview can't air now in case she hears it, clearly. <laughs> oh. So I wanted to ask... How big of an influence was your dad in your decisions of like, you know, where your life should go? As far as that trip went, he was almost the entire influence because I was 18 coming out of childhood. Your parents do wield a huge influence on you. And he was a big, he was a big character in our, in our lives. And he, this was his idea and he was my biggest cheerleader, promoter. The guy had faith in me that I could do it. I mean, it was it's especially now that I've been a mother to two boys that have grown up and out. I could I just had that chance to give my son a ch- uh, an uh, an opportunity like this, and I I failed. I couldn't do it. I was too scared. I don't know how my well ah that goes back to too much information now. Mm. What what do you mean by that? How did you fail? I did. I just had too much weather information. I saw one storm after another. I couldn't let him go out to sea with that. Ah, uh, right, right, yeah. My father didn't have that. He just. You know, I left on a nice day and he didn't know what was happening out there while I was out there. And all he had to do was trust that I could pull it off. Mm, yeah, Neil, I totally see what you're saying. And uh, this kind of, I was thinking about this and uh, I read in, in, I think it was in an interview I read that you seem to be successful despite preparation. And uh, people often talk about, you know, what is it? Poor preparation prevents proper performance. I love a good, uh, you know, sentence like that. But how much of a role did, did this play in your journey? The, the lack of preparation? How do you get experience without living it? Absolutely. I love that. It's like, how how was I going to know what I needed to know? How was I going to learn anything I needed to learn unless I was out there learning it? You know, the more you prepare, maybe the less likely you would be to leave, too. I left and I, I obviously figured stuff out. And maybe there was a certain amount of luck, but I've had a little issue with that whole word luck, too, because it, it kind of reduces everything to just luck and kind of discounts my own individual ability to figure things out and yeah absolutely i mean there's two things there like the first is like you say with with too much preparation i mean you can read about a place that you're going you can read about something that you want to implement in your life you can read about something you want to do but in the end you're just reading and the best way to best way to figure stuff out exactly as you say is to try and you know have the possibility of failure and then at least you know what to do well that's also that there's there's different educational theories that go beyond that that don't that don't go beyond that that address that is there are the people that need to read and practice the theory. They really need the theory to be able to do anything. And then there are the other people that have to make the messes. And that's how they learn. 
Mm. I'm not a theoretical learner. I need to do it. I need to live it. I need to feel it. I need to experience it. And that I know for sure. <laughs> and knowing that about yourself, whether you're the one or the other, is a pretty useful thing to know as you go out and try to learn things and figure things out. Oh, absolutely. Because then if you know that you learn by doing, you won't spend as much time reading about it and not doing. Yeah, so I have a feeling that the people that have mentioned my lack of experience leaving are the ones that would have preferred to learn more by uh, reading than, or, you know, or practicing whatever instead of just living it. I'd imagine so. I mean, uh, I'd imagine them as the people that they read about a place before, you know, if they're traveling, they read about a place before they go there. They've got their compass, they've got their phone, they've got a big 70 liter backpack full of everything that they need just in case something could go wrong. But I think I might be, I might be wired the same as you. I like to go out there and just go, oh, turns out I should have brought a jacket. You know? Yep. <laughs> you know? Or when you go out there, then you start reading the book about the place when you're there because it feels more relevant. It's like, oh, now I, you know, you're reading about the place that you're in, so you can actually exactly understand it. Exactly, and something I always love to do is, is well, very similar to the book thing is is go and find people in that area and ask them what I need to know, you know, because they live there. <laughs> you know, yep. when it comes to travel, they they deal with it every single day. They'll say, "Man, don't go to this place. Go to that place. It's awesome. This place is overrated. Make sure yep. you bring a jacket." <laughs> you know? I love that. It's the experiencing. And another thing you said about about luck. I like how you said it kind of detracts away from the the work and the the personal growth and the overcoming obstacles that kind of went into it. Because luck is is something that happens to you and not something that you manifest in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so it's like it kind of takes out that uh, component that you bring along to it. You can't know, you can't possibly know how the universe will conspire to make something successful until you've tried, until you've taken that first step and shown that initiative to go out there and face it. And once you face it and once you're in it, then things come at you to help you along the way. But you can't know that or believe that until you've experienced it. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to preparation. How can you prepare when you have this luck thing as well? It's like, well, should I prepare for bad luck? Or you know, how does that even work? Well, and then frankly, for me to prepare, what could I have done? I could have what sailed some more in New York Harbor. I could have read a couple more books. I read as many books as I possibly could. I was sick of reading about sailing. And <laughs> I want to sail around New York Harbor. Why don't I just sail to Bermuda and see how that goes and make the first passage part of the whole trip and then, you know, keep going and learn as I went. I love that mindset. And I think it's one of the key mindsets to accomplishing something so grand. I mean, of course, you, you can and you do get people that, uh, that experience and that get these things done that are so, so massive uh, by preparing, by making sure they have everything there and it's smooth sailing, if you will. But I think a lot of people, when they complete these type of things, they have to, and they don't have to, but a lot of them have that attitude of, and I just need to go do this, regardless of what happens along the way, regardless of, uh, you know, I need to do this. I just need to go do this. So was it a big drive to go do it? Were you, were you eagerly anticipating going to do it, ready to take it on? Or I'm a little more laid back about my approach. I, it ha I, it was, I had an opportunity and I was going to do it and I just kind of just went with it. You know, took it day by day. It was the first thing was to get to Bermuda. The next thing was about getting to St. Thomas. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I got to sail around the whole wide world right now. It's about getting from one landfall to the next. 
That's that's really interesting that you say day by day as well, because it's something that if there is something, you know, a big challenge or like you're sailing around the world, for example, or you want to go to a hundred countries or you want to walk across South America or whatever it is, that day by day thing seems to be something that can really help a lot of people in that. And it often comes up in, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous and like yep. getting over addictions. They say, how do you do it? day by day because it's just little chunks isn't it you know it's it it's like it's like getting through school it's getting through anything that's uncomfortable or unfun and but it's ultimately going to be better for you day by stop stopping smoking yeah it's like alcohol just one day at a time getting through these, these passages the one the passage is going to take 30 days you know what 30 days they're going to pass no matter what you do with them they're going to come and go so that's exactly it. It's how you it's how you utilize them. And you see people, you know, with these things or with these ways of life or, you know, you see uh, you see some bodybuilder. You think, how did he get that big? And then he, he'll just say day by day, instead of not doing anything in my day, I chose to go to the gym. And it depends on your choices in that day as to what the outcome is. I, I yep. really like that. I really like that. But, you know, that's also that's an attitude, too. It's not really I don't know that it's 100 percent learned behavior some of us can do that it's like for me I, it's not like i practice to be like this it's just the way i am yeah that's true a lot of it comes down to how you're wired with a lot of Which these things why i did what i did you know so it's not like i had to become a certain person that did it it was just a, i fell into it that's who i was and i got a great story out of it i like that speaking of stories do you have a story for us today yep if you could give this story a name what would you call it I'm extremely bad at naming things, by the yeah, way. Me, me too. Have you seen the uh, title of the podcast, Travel Stories Podcast? <laughs> well, you know, and that's what I'll, I'll say, The Fisherman. <laughs> hey, that's good. That's good. I like it. Right then, you're listening to The Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Tanya Abbey with The Fisherman. I was finishing up a 30-day cross from um, Christmas Island up to Sri Lanka. Been really long. It was the doldrums, lots of flat calms. The engine was broken, and I saw Sri Lanka. There it was. My engine wasn't working, and the wind died, and I was in the shipping lanes. And so there were all these boats going by. I kept trying to call them on the radio to make sure that they see me, and there was land and it was 28 days and I wasn't going to be able to get in unless I got wind. And then this fishing boat appeared and there were two guys basically in loincloths in this fishing boat. And all they had between them were a couple scraps of fabric and some hooks on them. Here I am on this relatively modern boat, a young, vulnerable girl. I hailed these guys and with sign language and whatever, made them understand that it would, if they gave me a tow, I'd be forever grateful. him a rope and the one guy came in the cockpit he came over to my boat and sat in the cockpit with me and um kind of stared i was just thinking you know this is one of those times where things could just go really wrong and nobody would ever know but they brought me closer to land i caught the land breeze and i was able to get into the harbor by evening and then years go by, and then one day I get a letter from this guy, this fisherman, who did not speak English. So that means he had to go to a letter writer to write me a note saying, you know, he always remembered taking me in tow that day. And 
wondered how things were. If I'd gone on to have, if I ever finished a trip safely, if I'd um, gone on to have, you know, he just wanted to know about my life, if everything was okay. And that was just so touching. Here's this guy, you know, you don't know. Also, when you go traveling, when you're out there in the world, you don't know who you've affected and what your ripple effect will be. You have all these memories, but what have you left behind among all the other people that you've met and touched? I had touched this guy. We communicated several more times, and then that huge tsunami happened over there. And because of that contact, my family, we were able to raise enough funds to send him money to get a new boat and rebuild his house. The one thing that I use as an example of something potentially bad happening to me ended up just being this other beautiful story about human connections and trusting in each other. That's my takeaway from that trip and from all the traveling and living ever since. Trust, I guess that's the word, is trusting that people are ultimately good. That was Tanya Abbey with The Fisherman. Man, I love that story. That was great. That was great. I like that we often get, it's one of the things that happens on the show a lot, we often get the moments where we meet someone and we don't know whether to trust them or not or anything like that. And the general consensus has been to trust your gut. But I guess in that position, uh, I don't know, did you really, <laughs> did you have that option? Because you, you kind of needed the help in a way. Was that out of the window? Like, do I trust this guy? Do it, was it just do it anyway? I just, they were there and I was just do it anyway. Let's see what I, you know, that's kind of the way I've operated and still do. I just tend to trust people. And, you know, there, I went back to school as an adult. I did a, a degree in liberal studies, but in the cafeteria, they served salada tea and they have on the salada tea bags quotes. <laughs> and after three years of school, the thing that I remembered the best from that whole experience was the quote on the salada tea bag that says, it's better to get ripped off every once in a while than to live a life of suspicion. Oh, that is perfect. How I good is nailed that? The, just nailed it for me. Yeah, that's so right. And that can be, oh man, it's it's similar to, uh, what is the other one? It's better to be one and five than zero and zero, than O and O, you know? It's better to have, it's like if you're going out without preparation, for example, it's better to, to go out and fail five, four times and win one rather than not go out at all and not win or lose any. I know, we pulled tons of adages out of the air with these ones. I mean, there's, there's, we thought them. It's just got to live them to understand the truth of them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I love that. Now, I can't believe I've gone this far into the interview and not mentioned what is a great love of mine, which is cats. Now, I read that <laughs> I read something about your your cat that went with you. Can you tell us about that? Um, there were multiple cats. So I uh -huh. left. Well, actually, I did not even leave with a cat. I my cat joined me in St. Thomas. So I sailed from the East Coast to Bermuda and then down to St. Thomas without him. He met me there. And that was a cat, a rescue one I got from a shelter. So he was already about, I don't know, he was older. He was a big, he was a full grown cat. And then um, he came with me until Vanuatu in the South Pacific, which is the group of islands right before Australia. And there he had to be put down because he developed, he was bleeding from everywhere. He had a kidney thing that male cats will get and oh but before that in tahiti i picked up a tahitian girlfriend for him <laughs> oh yeah 
<laughs> so I had a little 26 foot boat with two cats, which was insane, but I loved my cat. So whatever. I was crazy cat girl. <laughs> and I, um, then dinghy got put to sleep in, um, Vanuatu and I picked up the next guy, Tarzun. And then later on, Mimin jumped ship in Egypt. She went on to another boat that, um, was sailing back around Africa, whatever they, she left, but Tarzun was my favorite cat. Mimin was not as interesting. And, um, <laughs> Tarzun came all the way back home with me and he lived to 21. Wow. 21. That's uh... up every single one of his lives and more. <laughs> so how long was he, uh, was he sailing with you? How long is he with you on the trip? The entire first year of his life. I think he, I got him, let's say that was July of 1986. And so it's over a year, like 16, 17 months of his life. He spent on the boat the whole time. Wow, no way. I'll bet when he came back to land, he's like, "What's wh where's the water? What is this? Okay, <laughs> he was so and I got a little cat story for you. He, we, I got back to New York to um, Sandy Hook, which is at the entrance to New York Harbor, where I docked for the night. So I went ashore and came back to the boat to get, to get brought back to the city there for everything. And Tarzun had disappeared. And I I, there wasn't enough time for me to go looking for him everywhere. And I, so I actually finished the trip without him. The last you know, 20 miles back to Manhattan from Sandy Hook without um, Tarzun. The next couple of days I kept calling. I so it was the Coast Guard station. So I kept calling the Coast Guard station there if they'd seen him, if they'd seen him. I went out there a couple days, like my first free couple hours because it was kind of crazy life right after getting back. Went out there, called, look, just, I was, I was distraught. Here I'd just been dreaming about getting back home with him and he was gone. And I don't remember exactly how long it was, maybe a week after I got back, I got a call from the Coast Guard guys. So it turns out at the dock where I um, stopped, there was a Coast Guard cutter that he went, that he boarded, and they'd gone out to sea for their tour of the, for a week. So he had been underneath the metal floorboards of this Coast Guard cutter for a week, probably just trembling to death listening to those boots banging on the metal decks and the engine sounds and all the noise after having been on little Varuna with me for so long. And as soon as they got back to the dock and turned off the engines, they heard this meowing coming out from behind the instrument panel. So when I got to Sandy Hook, they, all these cute Coast Guard guys had um, taken out their instruments to try and get to him. And he was hiding behind there. He wouldn't come out. And as soon as I came into the bridge and I called his name, he came running out of a hole into my arms and it was happily ever after. Oh, man. Oh, I love stories like that. <laughs> like cute little Tarzun story. Yeah, well, he had a good life. And then we moved up to Vermont. He lived in New York for a bunch of years. We lived in Newport. Then we moved to New York. And then he had his... Most of the... The most of his life was in Vermont then. Oh man, what a crazy life. Like, you know, even for a human, <laughs> like imagine that as a, as a human, but for a cat, what a crazy life, man. That's awesome. Well, I just kept promising him one day we'd be settled and we have a home. Because the other thing that I've realized in hindsight that I learned that I picked up from that trip and all those countries I visited and all those people I met and everything that I saw, this thing that I didn't, that I hadn't had yet in my life and was a sense of community all these people wherever i went belonged and i was always just a visitor the transient coming through but they were there they were raising their families they had their children their parents their grandparents they had the trees they planted it's like people were rooted where they were while i kept passing through and i was like i want to be somewhere where 
I have my people where I have my community, where I have my trees and gardens. And that's, that's kind of what I want. That's what I, I aimed for throughout that trip and ended up with it here in Vermont. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. We moved here. Like it's been now 20, 20, 22 years of being, watching the trees I plant grow. Wow. You can always go out, but I need a place to come back to. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's uh, that's also a separation that we that we get on this show. It's like some people say, "Well, I could I could never live in the same place for ages," and some people say, "Yeah, I'm going to do some traveling, and then I'm going to come back and exactly like yourself, I'm going to have my own place with my own Absolutely. trees growing." That's super interesting, and it's really interesting that someone that's literally been around the world <laughs> wants that you know that stability that place for herself that place with her own community i really like that i really like that uh you know that difference between the two it's really interesting yeah so that people can come through here and they can see this part of the world and keep going and then go find their own you know other people other people have made this their place too since then (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right that's right well this has been awesome. I've, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation, not just because of your accent, and I really, really love that. It's not just because of that. Or the cat story, and I really love cats. It's not to do with that. But this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. If anyone wants to reach out to you or see you know, what's going on with your travels or with your sailing or anything like that, is there anywhere online we can, we can uh, give to them? Yeah, it's um, tanyaabby.com. <laughs> So simple. I As love it. Of fact, um, <laughs> all right. Try to guess how to spell it. <laughs> That's the thing. Lovely. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Stories Podcast. Every day, I get more and more grateful for you guys, our listeners, and it really means a lot that you tune in each week. Let us know if you enjoyed this episode on TravelStoriesPodcast.com or by subscribing in iTunes. We'd love to have you over at our Facebook page. Just search Travel Stories Podcast and come and get involved. The team's always there to chat about travel, podcasts, composition, writing, or anything else at all. You can also drop us a line at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. We do answer everything. On behalf of myself and the team, thanks again for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it and would love for you to join us next week for another episode of the Travel Stories Podcast.